It's wonderful, wonderful to be home. And I have to say that I missed you as a church. Missed you, both Wendy and I. And it is a privilege to be standing before you. A daunting task, it seems, right now with the Word of God open. But we will begin by praying and asking for help and direction. And that we would together hear from the Lord this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are so, we are so undeserving of your love for us, even of this moment, that in your eternal plan you have ordained for us to hear from you. And so, Lord, it is with that thought that as we we gather together as those that have been redeemed and called for purpose, your purpose, that we express gratitude to you. Thank you for loving us so much that you offered your Son, Jesus, to be sacrificed and to pay the price as a means of atonement for our sins. Now as our heads are bowed, we ask that you would guide this process of preaching. I ask, please, guide my mind and my mouth. May everything that is said be for your glory and for your glory alone. We ask this in the strong and amazing name of Jesus. Amen and amen. There's a lot really to process over the last um, three months. While away, I was talking to one other pastor who asked me the question, he knew I was on sabbatical, and he said, are you like, are you at all nervous like when you get back, you're going to find your, your books in boxes like outside of your office. Or you're going to find the locks changed. I was like, no, I got, I got good guys, godly men. The church is in a good place, a healthy place. I have nothing to worry about. We flew home on a Saturday night. I took a day On Monday morning, I knew it would be quiet, and so I wanted to come in just to get some things organized and begin to make some lists. I had my arms filled with books and and got to the back door and and put my key in the door, and and it didn't open. I tried another key, and I'm like, it all came flooding back to me. I can't believe, I thought I could trust these people. I'm going to be going to be jobless if I'm jobless I'm going to be homeless I actually saw in the dumpster there were like pizza boxes left over from navigate I'm like well that's going to be my life I'll be out of the dumpster there a little bit honey we got some pizza tonight <laughs> I realized that um, I was actually just using the wrong key we don't use keys we use key fobs I forgot You know what I found is that when you step away from that which is normal, it is very, very easy to forget that which is normal. 
we see that, I think, in the example that Jesus gives every single time that he steps away. There's many references in the Gospels about Jesus taking a break. What's interesting is that when he leaves the normal, yes, it is the importance of ministry, but he always goes to that which is more important. He goes to what? To be with his heavenly father. He goes to take time to commune and to rest. Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 6. It says repeatedly, he went away by himself to pray. Donald Hogner comments, he, he went away to linger in prayer. I like that word linger. It literally is defined, it says to, to stay in a place longer than necessary because of a reluctance to leave. Can, can I report to you this morning first and foremost that, that, that we have done some lingering on our sabbatical. The word sabbatical we know comes from what? Same root as Sabbath. In Hebrew it's the word Shabbat. And we just witnessed this. We just witnessed this a couple weeks ago in the city of Jerusalem. What happens on Friday, literally, as the sun is setting, a horn blows to be heard throughout the entire city. And at that moment, as Shabbat begins, everything shuts down. The stores, they all close. They actually bake more bread on Thursday to have enough to go through Shabbat. There's no trains, there's no buses. People are scurrying. Literally, they go home or they go to worship at the wall or, 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 or to synagogue. They have demonstrated and really modeled a wonderful concept of necessary rest. But it is also, let me tell you this from experience, it is an immensely sad time. In that setting, knowing that the one, the one who brings true rest, that is Jesus, is completely forgotten, is completely written out of this script, is completely ignored. I believe a time for a sabbatical, for a Sabbath rest, is when one steps away to intentionally consider the majesty of God's worldwide work of redemption. In doing that, one cannot help but respond. I think in the only appropriate way, in absolute humble adoration of God. Yes, in the midst of rest, I think one can and should prayer to prayerfully contemplate personal calling, giftedness, and even placement in, in the work of the kingdom. But it's still, it must, it, it must come back to God. His grace, His greatness. It must come back to God. His mercy. His majesty. The Apostle Paul summarizes this well in our text before us this morning in Ephesians chapter 3. Let me direct your attention to verses 14 through 18. The Apostle Paul says this, I bow my knees before the Father 
from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That what? That you, you have strength to comprehend. With all of the saints, listen to this, what is the breadth and the length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be what? Filled with all the fullness of God. We pray, God, give us the ability to comprehend your love in such a way that we are literally filled up I report to you this morning, it is my responsibility as as one who has been called to steward this body, I report to you that my heart is full. First and foremost, it is full of gratitude toward a God who has graciously redeemed me and patiently not given up on me. My heart also is full of gratitude to each one of you together as a church for being a church that allows rest, that allowed and afforded a shepherd to be shepherded. While away we attended a pastor's and wives renewal retreat in North Carolina. It was the same one that Aaron and Brianna attended last year when they felt the Lord calling them to leave Big Woods Bible Church. I'm happy to report, or maybe sad for some of you, that is not the message that God gave to Wendy and I. Well, there, inevitably, you talk with a number of other pastors. I was talking to another pastor about sabbatical rest, and he commented to me, we were sitting in the lobby, he and his wife and and Wendy and I, and he said this, I just can't leave my church. I just can't leave. Because not more than one week at a time. And I said, wow, really? I said, how long have you been at the church? 21 years. I just can't leave. Circumstances are that I just can't leave. His wife sitting across from me said, tell him he can leave. (laughs) In the very first session, there were multiple sessions throughout the week. The very first session, the keynote speaker said this. He stood up and he said, if any one of you pastors think that you can never leave your church for more than one week, then there's major problems with you, with your leadership, and with your church. Ouch! I just like, I didn't see him. We just seemed to avoid the whole rest of the week. People need, we need to be able to step away to take a break. Because when we're in constant motion, it's hard to see. I believe it's hard to see our Father's plan. Thus, while lingering in prayer and in the Word, one can go deep. I think in seasons that are different in God's word, we can just read and read uninterrupted and continue to read. And what I have found is is that as you dive deep reading the word of God, it doesn't matter if you're reading Old Testament historical, poetic, prophetic, 
New Testament narrative gospel. It doesn't matter if you're reading epistles. What happens is you read, you see the oneness, the singularity, the continuity of one message. There's one big plan, one big picture. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. God is the one who's not just behind the scenes, he's in front of the scenes. He's what? He's on either side of it. He's the one calling the shots. Genesis 1, what? God created everything out of nothing. Next, Nihilo. Man rebels. God destroys and floods the earth. In Genesis chapter 8, God said, I will never again, he promises the Noah covenant, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Genesis chapter 15, God instructed Abraham, Abraham, I want you to look up to the heaven, count the stars, so shall your offspring be. Exodus chapter 3, while this offspring, this nation is now in bondage, what? God called Moses out of the bush, burning, but it was not burned. Exodus chapter 12, God provided by telling Moses, you tell everyone to take a lamb. When I see the blood, I will pass over. Second Samuel chapter 7, God promised David, it's going to be your house, your kingdom, your throne that will be established forever. Noah covenant, Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant. Covenants are promises that God gives to us. God is the one who's determining the direction by keeping his promise. What? He will rescue, he will redeem mankind. Yet all the way through, what happens? Man rebels. Man refuses to obey, falls short, sins, thus bringing what? Constant Constant chaos and destruction. Old Testament, what? New Testament, the greatest promise is the incarnation of God himself. So we celebrate at Christmas time, what? Matthew chapter 1. You'll have a little baby and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God came near to us. John chapter 3, what? God loved us. Mankind still rejected. The enemy thought that what? He was going to ruin the plan. Galatians chapter 1, God gave himself for our sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, God paid a high price for you by offering himself as a sacrificial atonement for our sins. All the way through scripture, we what? No one can thwart. No one can hinder or frustrate. No one can stop an unstoppable God. Even after the enemy thought he won. We read in scripture, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And then just before he ascended to what? To be back in glory with his father in heaven. He says, with all authority, he called, he commissioned his followers to be what? To be his hands. To be his feet. To be his body. He commissioned and called what? The local church as an important part of his perfect plan. Guess what? That's us. 
Jesus says, with all authority, I'm calling you. That's you and me. Yes, it's very, very easy for us still as man, what? To rebel, to get it wrong, to interfere with his perfect plan. We know that churches today are far from perfect. They, they argue and fight amongst themselves, sadly. They have divided leaders and pastors, have mishandled scripture and misled people and misused monies. Sadly, what? Churches have lied to people and cheated people. They have abused people and tried to hide sins. You can't hide sins from a holy God. Hypocrisy has defined many. Even churches that are faithful to preaching the gospel, at times what? Pride still settles in. And arrogance and a judgmental, critical spirit can settle. But thankfully we know what God has given to us, his own spirit, the spirit of God indwelling us, the word of God to guide us. And you know what? He's also given the people of God, one another, to hold all of us accountable, to make sure that we get into the word and read it and study it. God has given to us one another to make sure that we are, we are spending time in prayer. That we are growing and maturing and listening more than talking. God has given to us one another to remind us to linger. To linger. So in complete transparency, as I have been lingering, I have learned three prominent lessons. The first one is this. Church is bigger than any one person. Church is bigger than any one person. Now it's no doubt that we all want to matter. Okay, we all want to be missed. We all want to have purpose. God actually created us like that in his image. But since we are what? Broken in the fall, our nature is, it's very, very easy for us to think that we matter too much. It's certainly the case of what happened with Adam and Eve. They thought that they mattered too much. And that is why we need to be very careful, as the Apostle Paul warns, not what? To think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. It's always dangerous when a home revolves around one person. It's always dangerous when a family always revolves around person. Let's tiptoe around dad because if it's not perfect, then it's going to be disastrous. It's always dangerous. It's always dangerous when a church revolves around one person. Oh, if I'm not here, the whole place is just going to collapse, just going to collapse and crumble without me. How arrogant and how wrong is that? What a blessing, literally what a joy it was to know that when one steps away as we did back on September the 12th, to take a break, to be quiet, to be still, to linger, that there were many diverse, and you saw that, different men preaching. And it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if it was Craig in his cool little hard hat. 
It doesn't matter if it was Pastor Josh doing his best Frank Sinatra imitation, impersonation. It doesn't matter if it was Drew drinking a monster because he preached for 58 minutes and 32 seconds. It doesn't matter. It was Pastor Stewart talking from this pulpit about dirty underwear. <laughs> Different, but one message, one message, one goal that everyone would see and that everyone would hear Jesus. And every single person is needed. The very first message that was preached was from Pastor Aaron in Colossians chapter 1. He, as he stood up, he actually introduced himself. Hi, my name is Aaron Badorf. And he said this, and I quote, You can forget my name, but do not forget the gospel that I preach. Amen. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But you can be assured, it's not just as wonderful as we have been blessed with good and godly pastors and elders. Remember this. Remember what Romans chapter 12 says. Let's, let's go here for a moment. As we just talked about, it's dangerous for us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Let me direct your attention to the fact of how big the church really is. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says, I, I say to everyone... For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with, with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to me. Let us, let us use them. And then there's this list. If, you, if, if serving, then serve. If teaching, then teach. If mercy, with cheerfulness. The idea is what? To, to each one of us has been given so that all may. Just think on any one day, any one Sunday, how many people are involved with this worship time. How many people, from the time that you drive in, to guys that are shivering in cold, parking us, to those that come in early to turn on heat and, and lights, to those that are working in, in nursery and children's ministry, those that run sound, those that do security, those that, that print the bulletins and folds, those that set up communion for us, musicians that have practiced, there's so many people, those that just give faithfully monies so that this church can run, paying for what? Insurances, those fun things. And salaries. We all have a necessary place in the body of Christ. Yes, there's no doubt we all have strengths, we have things that we're good at, and we all have weaknesses. Listen to one another to help determine what those things are. It's, it's okay that we're good at some things and we're not good at other things, but all of us are needed. 
I am quite certain, I'm very confident to say that with any church this size, some people actually today still sit there and think, well, because I can't preach, or I can't teach, or I can't lead a ministry, then I'm not needed. Then I'm relegated to the back. I'm not important. Let me say this with the authority of God's word. Don't go there. Do not go there. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You know, I took some classes while I was away. And to be perfectly honest, it has been, I was doing math like 20-ish years since I've actually sat in seminary classes. Been to a ton of conferences over the years. Listen to them. But as far as like, you're going to be graded on this, been just a few years. Looking at the syllabus, and so always, you know, you have your points, your your grade for, percentage of grade for uh, tests and reading and your papers, and then you have like your percentage on class participation. I'm like, I'm good, I'm good to go. I'm just leaning that direction. Class participation. So sure enough, while I'm in a class... On worship, I just, I don't know, I just happened to be speaking about the influence of the 19th century German composer, William Richard Wagner, and it was like blah, 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 whatever I said. And after class, I was corrected by one of the 23-year-old students, younger than our kids. I just want to remind you that it's not actually pronounced Wagner, it's Wagner. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Knowing my class participation actually depends on this. I, I knew that I had to return. I had to address this. Next day in class, I say, excuse me, I need to apologize to everyone. Apparently, I mispronounced Wagner. And I know it's true because I checked it in Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Actually, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't embarrass you guys like that, okay? You know what I'm reminded? If, if God could use me, honestly, then God can use any one of us. Many people think, what? I'm not perfectly proficient, so I just, I just sit... No, no, how wrong. The entire body of Christ is needed. We all need to be serving. We all need to be moving. It keeps us from what David Brooks, he's an op-ed writer for the New York Times, he calls it what we live in today as the arena culture. Where we are so used to in our culture, what? you Just doing, just sitting and listening, watching and being entertained. That is not the local church of Jesus Christ. That is not the church of Jesus. We are what? We are his hands and his feet. We are what? His body. We are disciples that are making disciples. We come here not to sit and listen, and we come here not to be entertained. We come in here to worship what? And breathe fresh air, to be nourished and strengthened, to get back out and to do ministry in the community that God has called us to be an important part of. That's why we come here this morning. We all, every one of us, examine your own heart, what you're doing right now as a follower of Jesus. If you've committed your life, what are you doing? 
to be his hands and his feet in serving. Pick up a broom, start sweeping, start shoveling, giving, shit, sharing. Lesson number two, not only did I learn that the church is bigger than any one person, Christ is bigger than any one church. Christ is bigger than any one church. Remember we just read in Romans chapter 12, what for as in one body we have many members, though many are, are they not one body in Christ? What's interesting is that the apostle Paul is the one who's writing this. And he stays within the same framework of that analogy when he writes to uh, the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 1, which you guys studied this fall. And in chapter 1 verse 18, it says this, and he, Christ is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, in everything, he might be preeminent. Therefore it is Jesus Christ who states in what? Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church. How refreshing and encouraging is that? Written as part of our sabbatical objectives were to visit other churches. I report to you that in the last 12 weeks, we visited 11 churches in seven states and three countries. We visited some great churches with great preaching. We also visited some not-so-great churches. We visited big churches and little churches. We visited churches that have been in existence that are old churches. And we visited young churches. Of all of the churches that we attended in the past three months, there was one, there was one that stuck out. We drove in and people greeted us, parked us with a smile. We were greeted at the door with a smile, handed a bulletin. We were walked to our seats. The service started on time. There was a call to worship that immediately directed us to the Word, through the reading of Scripture, and through prayer. The music was well-planned. It was well-practiced. The gospel was clearly preached. You know what it was? It was last Sunday when Wendy and I came just to visit, just to sit in the back of Big Woods Bible Church. You know what? I think it's very easy to think that we have the corner market on ministry. Let me tell you that just like we can think too highly of ourselves, we also can think too highly of our church. How wrong is that? Why? Because it's not our church. It's His church. I will build my church. Which means, as I have been reminded, there are a lot of different styles that are out there. There's a lot of different sizes and settings. But let me tell you this, let me tell you this. When the children of God 
gather, as John chapter 4 says, in spirit and in truth. When voices are lifted up loud together in song. When the word is proclaimed, the gospel is preached, knowing that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When baptism and communion, the Lord's Supper are celebrated, something unique, something special happens. Hearts are stirred in our affections and redirected in our attention. Instruct it, we're encouraged, and God is glorified. And it doesn't matter. Let me tell you this it doesn't matter about the building. It doesn't matter about the budget. It doesn't matter about the size. It doesn't matter if the sound system. It doesn't matter if the coffee is fresh ground or not. We were in Athens, Greece. If you've listened to anything in the news about Greece, it has faced unrelenting challenges with an influx, particularly of refugees, Syrian refugees, as a result of the conflict in the Middle East. Tens of thousands of them have arrived. It has, it has tremendously strained an already weakened economy, particularly in the city of Athens. Think of Greece, the country has 5 million people, 2.5 million, half of the country's population lives in one city, the city of Athens. Tremendously high unemployment rate, high crime rates. When he was robbed on a subway there, God was good to protect us. 98 plus percent of everyone born in, in Greece automatically is Greek Orthodox. Don't even ask. That's what we believe. They're, they're not hearing the gospel. Therefore, the work of the gospel in that particular city is great. And the work is very, very challenging. So you will... As we woke up one Sunday morning looking for a church to visit, we found it difficult to find one that was preaching the gospel. Eventually we did, and it was a, quite a hike. We automatically kind of left some of the, the nicer area near the Acropolis that we were staying in to get to another part of Athens where dumpsters were overflowing and graffiti was everywhere. And you immediately, even in the middle of a Sunday morning, were beginning to get a little nervous. And we're following our little Google Maps, turn left and turn right. And my wife is amazing that way. I have no idea where we were. And we're looking for this one church meeting in another building. They didn't have their own building. And as we got close, we heard a piano playing. We were in the back alley and just heard a piano. A little, it almost sounded like a child playing. And Wendy saw a sign, it was just a cross. We're like, this, this must be it. This, this must be family. This must be brothers and sisters in Christ. The service was to start at 10 o'clock. I, I, I met the pastor by 10.05. No one had arrived. The pastor and his wife were there, Pastor Nicholas and his wife and two little girls. It was one of his daughters that was actually just doing her, her piano lessons and practicing. He, he, was, he, was, he was almost in tears as he was telling me, I thought someone would come today. I thought someone would come today. 
At 20 after 10, two people. An older woman, a middle-aged man. At 20 after 10, pastor stood up. He says, well, we're here together and we're going to worship. And we sang songs, eight of us. And he went to the pulpit in a small room. And he turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and preached the best message that I have heard. And I am not exaggerating. He preached the most accurate, amazing message. If he was in the United States, he would be standing up in front of a thousand people to preach every single Sunday. And let me tell you this. Let me tell you what I was reminded of. Pastor Nicholas, when he stands before the Lord, will be rewarded as being faithful to the gospel. It doesn't matter the size of the church. What matters is, is he faithful to the work that God has called him to? Let us hold on to the truth. The church of Jesus Christ that, is, that, that exists is far different than what you and I think it looks like in this little western part of the world. Let me remind you what it looks like and what we have to look forward to in the book of Revelation. In chapter 7, let me, let me remind you of what the church of Jesus Christ really looks like. And what we anxiously are keeping our focus and hope on. After this, I looked and behold, great multitude. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what the church looks like. So don't think that we have for any moment corner market. We must commit to praying for and supporting and encouraging any church that is preaching the clear gospel of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter about size, doesn't matter about style, doesn't matter about denomination. If they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we must do everything that we can to support and pray for its success. Church is bigger than any one person. Christ is bigger than any one church. Thirdly and finally, nothing is bigger than Christ. You may say, well, that's kind of a simple message for you to learn on your time. No, no, we all need to be reminded, and I need it to be reminded, that nothing is bigger than Christ. I, I read during my time away, Worship by the Book. E.A. Carson, Tim Keller teamed up. And it really directs, the whole book is a great book, but it really directs our attention to First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29. It says this, and I quote, Ascribe to the Lord glory that is due His name. Worship the Lord in splendor of His holiness. It directs our attention to Psalm 95, where it says, Come, let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our maker. We are, we are people in his pasture. And I love this. We are the flock under his care. You have to be perfectly honest, okay? We don't use words today like splendor and glory a lot. 
We certainly don't, in our posture, talk or do a lot of, of, of kneeling or bowing down. But you realize that is, that is what must be used, words like that must be used to describe how great, how big, how powerful, how majestic God really is. In all of his splendor, in all of his glory, get this, we are his people in his pasture. It actually says that we are what? We are under his care. Now that's kind of hard to imagine for a moment. But remember Ephesians chapter 3, I bow my knees and I'm praying that God would give me the strength to contemplate what the breadth and the width, the height and the depth of the love of Christ. It is, it is so big, we need his help. I think like most of us, when we begin to think about the splendor and glory of God, we automatically go to creation. We were blessed to see some beautiful corners of God's creation. The heavens declare, as the psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God. We have all seen what? A starlit sky or a blazing sunset that takes our breath away. But you have to realize this. God, God did not send Jesus Christ, his son, to redeem creation. God sent Jesus Christ, his son, to redeem those created in his image. Remember this, even as we enjoy the splendor and glory of creation around us, and I love Matthew 24, Jesus Christ himself says what? Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. Even creation will not last, but what? But the word of God and the words that speak into the souls of man actually outlive, outlast creation. So, so ponder this for a moment. The love of Christ, as demonstrated in the, the life, the death, the resurrection is so great that we actually need his power to try to understand it. Let me say that again. The love of Christ, as demonstrated through the, the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, is so great, it's so immense, we need his help to understand it. A throne room that is emblazoned in gold makes total sense. But a manger in a stinking barn does not make sense. A, a crown that is encrusted with diamonds makes total sense. But a crown of thorns, pressed, bleeding, makes no sense. A white stallion Prancing into the city gates makes perfect sense. A donkey, like a young donkey, makes no sense. A marble mausoleum makes sense. Not, not a, a carved, not a borrowed tomb carved out of a rock. 
You know what makes sense to me are people that are impressive, orators, gifted. Not, not us, not simple people from central Pennsylvania. It just doesn't make sense. And yet God in his glory chooses to use what? We're sinners, but we've been redeemed. We're imperfect. We step on one another's toes. We have bad breath. And yet God chooses to use us. Why? Because it's the promise that he says, I will build my church. We need to remember the fact, promote the fact, practice the fact that the church of Jesus Christ, centered around the word of God, led by the spirit of God, is the most powerful force for good in the entire world. Do not ever underestimate how big Christ is. The last church that we visited while away was in the Middle East. I knew the pastor and the pastor at the end of the service asked if I would come forward because they were sending out a woman from their church. And they wanted to pray over her. And he asked, would you, would you be here with me? Would, would we lay hands together and pray as we send her out? She was going out um, on a very, very difficult, a very dangerous mission to a very, very dark place. We will call her name Lydia. She had already been sent out before, had already been imprisoned and persecuted, literally beaten as a result of her faith in Jesus. And when I leaned in and asked her, Lydia, how is it this morning that we can pray for you? How is it that I can pray for you in front of the church? She said in broken English, she said this, and I quote, Pray that many angels would go with me to keep my body from being seen, but that my voice would be heard by millions. Who, who, who goes on a mission praying that they disappear? Pray that my body would not be seen, but my voice would be heard by millions. What many people do not know is that her story already, both in print and in audio, has been shared in portions of the Middle East and in the Far East, has already been heard by an estimated 100 million people. She wasn't even five feet tall. She was probably in her late 60s. And God was using her in ways that what? A thousand churches around here could not be used. Why? Because that little old lady had amazing faith, great faith in a great God. As the Lord Jesus Christ builds his church, let me remind you that he doesn't need you and I, but we get to have a tiny little part. He allows us and empowers us to be witnesses of what Jesus has done. And we should have this morning a message that is burning within our hearts. A message that we desire to share with everyone. Here's an invitation. Take it and, and, and maybe be bold enough to give it to your neighbor. No, no, take, take 50 of them 
And as you are nervous knocking on your neighbor's door, you remember what Lydia is doing for the gospel. We get to have a tiny part. We hold within our hands what the message that is accompanied by the ministry of the power of the Spirit of God. Yeah, but you, you don't know me. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do that. Yeah, I, I've got a background and I've got a history and, and, and I, I, was, I was abused when I was young and I was abandoned when I was young. Well, so, so was Jesus. Yeah, people, like, they don't get me and they've lied to me, they've lied about me. So, so, so was Jesus. Yeah, but I've been mistreated. I, I've been misaligned, maligned. So, so was Jesus. Forgotten and forsaken, some of you, yes, so was Jesus. Cursed at, so was Jesus. Jesus suffered, Jesus endured the cross so that you and I would not have to. Let me close with these words from Ephesians chapter 3. We began, let me close that paragraph. The reminder that we all need, that I need. Now to him who is able to do far far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So be it. So be it. That's the hope. I'm so thankful that, and it just worked out that the very first Sunday back, we together as family can celebrate communion. Let me remind you that communion is not like a, a private, mystical act between you and Jesus, okay? Like, it's not. It is a family gathered. It is a meal, what? That we commune with Christ and with Christ people, centered around the message of the gospel with what? Two very, very simple elements. We know that Jesus himself used these and taught with these two elements. He was sitting in the upper room with his disciples before they were sent out to make disciples. And he said, I want you to remember this. Practice this. Don't forget this. As they were eating, it says that they took bread. And he said, this is a picture, it's just a symbol. This bread is a picture of my body. And he broke it, he tore it in front of them. And as he tore it, he said, that's what's going to happen to me. My body's going to be torn. I want you to eat this. And you taste it when you ingest it. It's a reminder that what? The Holy Spirit is within us. He took the cup, it says, after they ate, and he poured it out, and he said, this is a picture of my blood that is going to be poured out for you. Crucifixion is a bloody, bloody mess of a process. And Jesus cannot imagine with all knowledge of what was to come as he's pouring out this wine. He said, this is a picture of my blood that's going to be poured out for you. And then they passed it around and they drank of it. Passed it and drank. 
Jesus knows that when we smell something, when we taste something, when we hear something, when we touch something, what? Every one of our senses. And he says, do this, do this, do this in remembrance of me. When we are, what, redeemed and called together for purpose, one of the definitions that we use as a local church, what defines us is that we regularly remember the Lord's table, the greatest gift. We think that nothing is bigger than Christ. Nothing. Splendor and glory of creation. Nothing. Creation passes away. But the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We need a reminder. And so today, I invite you that as a body of believers that we take this and eat this. Let me remind you that if you are here this morning and, and you are not a follower of Jesus, you have not placed your faith in his finished work that was accomplished on the cross. Please, under, I'm not trying to be rude, but I would ask that when the men pass that to you, that you refrain, that you not take it. It would make no sense for you to take it if you've not placed your faith in what Jesus Christ has done. His body broken, his blood poured out for you. But I also remind you that today, today, it says in God's word, is the day of salvation. That if you acknowledge the fact that yes, you are a sinner, and no one needs to be convinced of that. My grandchildren, our grandchildren are mastering what it means to be sinners. They're practicing every day. They got it down. That's us. And we know that sin separates. Wages of sin is death. But God, but the gift of God is eternal life. Then today, this moment, sitting in your seats, Lord, I acknowledge the fact I'm a sinner and I accept you as my Savior and I desire to live in full obedience as what? You being Lord of my life. Then pray that, believe that, and eat and drink this for the first time as one who is heading to eternal glory. I'm going to ask the elders to come and they're going to serve you just so that you know and I'm sure that I have no idea what time anything is. Sorry. I think I'm late. Um, they're going to serve you the bread first. We'll pray over both the bread and the cup. Then they'll serve you the cup. We will sing a hymn and be on our way. May the Lord bless
Would you pray with me? Father, the word amazed really doesn't even cut it. Shocked beyond belief of your love for us and your willingness to sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you. I thank you for seeing us through the blood of Jesus and what was accomplished on the cross. Although in our hearts we constantly question and rebel, you declare us justified, declare righteous, not because of anything that we've said or done, but because of, of who you are in offering your son Jesus. Thank you for this reminder that we have today as we gather to eat the bread and drink the cup. Bless it to our bodies and may it be a reminder to renew and quicken and awaken our hearts and our minds and our lives to live in total subjection and obedience to you. We are thrilled that we get, by your grace, to have a little part in what you are doing in your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to have strength to do it well in a way that brings a smile to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul's writing, giving instruction to the church in Corinth, and he says this, that the Lord Jesus, on the very night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said this. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this. Eat this in remembrance. Remember me.
<clears throat> excuse me. Thank you. It says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The worship team is going to come now and close us. Let me remind you what it says. What we do as a local church Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God.